Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. I'm going to take you way back. The first brand you remember having an imprint on you. The first brand that had an impact on me, I have to say, was probably Crayola, right? I remember as a child loving to color and just, um, and I think that's probably contributed to my love of art and design and how I probably led into uh, the marketing profession, right? But I remember wanting that box of 64 crayons, right? And sitting there and organizing them perfectly and in order. And it's just, um, I still see the brand today and there's still a fondness and and a sense of nostalgia. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Lorraine Barbara Miller. She is the CMO of ADP which is a 14 or almost a $14 billion, 58,000 employee kind of HR payment platform. And what I loved about this conversation is how Lorraine and her team are reframing the purpose of ADP and doing it with great respect for its history and also for its customers. This is an interview full of lessons and again, full of energy and inspiration. Here's my conversation with Lorraine. So welcome, Lorraine, to the CMO Podcast. And the first thing I have to say before I let you speak is that my company uses ADP for our HR and our payroll. And I asked my CFO what she thought of ATP. I didn't didn't tell her why I was saying that. And she said, smooth, easy, worry-free. Is that on brand equity or not? Is it that, is. is that I love, good? I love the advocacy and thank you for your business. Oh, absolutely. Well, as she said, seamless and worry-free. Fantastic. That's, I think that's the ultimate compliment for a brand. It is. Thank in, you. In, in the times we live in. So thank you to your, you and your team. That's great support. So we are doing this episode in Cannes, right? Mm. In the south of France. And this is the largest marketing festival in the world. 15,000 people. And we just spent the day together with a bunch of other CMOs. So I want to get um, get your feeling about Cannes this year. I mean, what are you getting out of it? What have you been inspired by? Is there a person you've met or a campaign you've seen or a mm-hmm. presentation that made you think? 
So, in fact, this is my first time to the festival. Oh and so I had You're no overwhelmed. overwhelmed and yet very open without expectations prior to arriving. What I've been incredibly inspired by is the amount of creativity. And I had the unique privilege of joining Ad Age on a curated tour the other day inside the That's Lion's Head, right? And so we went down into the basement, saw the work behind the work. So, a little bit of you know, peeking back behind the uh, the curtain, so to speak, to see how work gets done and uh, why that work is award-winning. So fascinating. While outside of our category, it's an opportunity to still draw inspiration and ideas that lend themselves to even our world. Absolutely. Well, I, I noticed you were, your company had a huge presence at South by Southwest. Huge. Yes. A few months ago. So tell me a little bit about your strategy behind that. And was, was your objective there different from your objective here at Canon? So in fact, our presence at South by Southwest, it was based on an entire global rebrand for ADP. Um, as you know, it is the world's innovation stage. Yeah. And uh, because we invented the industry uh, nearly 70 years ago, and we do have a DNA of innovation and technology um, at our core, while it was an unexpected place for us to be, frankly, it was so right for us in terms of the place to relaunch our brand. And so we had two, um, two real two present, two uh, activations mm -hmm. there. Um, the first being obviously the sponsorship of the workplace, um, the future workplace mm -hmm. track, yep. which of course is important to us and the future of work, the future of pay. And then the second was more experiential in the festival itself called Breaking Barriers. Very much tied to our brand in that we believe the work that we do hopefully breaks down workplace barriers. So it was a smash room concept where we would- I saw would, that online, amazing. Yes, amazing, so therapeutic, right? <laughs> and so we would suit you up and you'd select from one of uh, work four workplace barriers and you would metaphorically break one of them. So if you were breaking the glass ceiling, you literally broke a glass panel and it came shattering down on you. If you wanted to break pay inequity, you were breaking a piggy bank where glitter and coins came uh, flying out. So something fun for revelers to join us on and yet very much tied to our brand. And so- And your I, lawyers approve this. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you, to, much to our- surprise and delight uh, because it was our first year and it was so unexpected being there. We were called the dark horse of South by Southwest by Ad Week. We were also called one of the craziest top five activations there by Entrepreneur. So for us, it, it achieved the absolute objective we were after and probably more than we ever imagined. Now, my presence here at Can this week is um, slightly different in that this is a place for me to personally draw mm -hmm. um, inspiration Versus and create company, creativity, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it's been a fabulous experience here, yet we still have time left. Um, a number of inspiring conversations, relationships, and work that I've already seen and probably yet to see that I'll take back and incorporate in our work. Super. So I want to now talk to, uh, talk to you a little bit more to get to know you a bit better. And yes. then we're going to get into your brand, ADP, because I'm Good. not sure everyone understands it. And you're putting the brand out there much more. Yes. In culture and to be talked about and to be part of culture. So I really, we, do, we want to unpack that a little bit. But you worked at IBM 
and then later at ADP over the last 23 years or so. Yes. Okay. So you've had a rich, you know, you've been with two great companies and you've lived in an incredible array of cities in your career. So I want to <laughs> name each city for mm. you that you've lived in. And I want you to give me one word to describe your experience in each city. Okay. So the first one I think is Philadelphia. Formative. Atlanta. Transitional. Dubai. Entrepreneurial. Prague. Transformational. New York City. Inspiration. And your favorite city of the bunch that you've lived in? There has to be a tie between New York City and Dubai. Oh, wow. Um, very similar in many ways, and yet so unique and contemporary and, and um, cosmopolitan in their own ways. I also lived in Prague well before you. I lived there in the mid-90s. Mm. I was P&G's second general manager after the Berlin Wall came down yes. and the markets opened up. And so it was a very different time. You mm. were there in the, in the 2010 Correct. Yeah, time 2010, frame. 2013. But I loved it. That, that, I'd have to say that's a favorite city of my career. Uh, it just was so developing, so mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Every day was different. Mm -hmm. uh, the people were so funny and so quirky and so... <laughs> So talented. Yes. You know, so it was just really fun to build a business and build an organization at a time when everything was just exploding. Mm -hmm. So really, really great. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about IBM before we mm -hmm. get into what you're doing now. You were there about 21 years. Describe to me your best day working at IBM. My best day was my first day. Oh, wow. Uh, coming out of university, I joined IBM in sales, um, and I remember an incredible sense of pride to become an IBMer, right? Because I had always believed and learned that IBM hired the cream of the crop, mm -hmm. and I still believe they do. Um, but there was an incredible sense of pride to be joining such an iconic American brand. Um, and having stayed 21 years, um, I know that's a rarity these days, but for me, I was constantly learning, right? New challenges and opportunities to constantly reinvent myself um, and build new businesses for IBM around the world. So your worst day at IBM. It's a tough one. You're an optimist, so it's hard to... <laughs> I don't know if there was mm -hmm. a worst day, right? I mean, for me, there were challenges. There were sacrifices you make, but in the end... Um, I am very optimistic, and I always believe that with the right opportunity in front of me, I would uh, likely do something others would not do mm -hmm. or could not mm -hmm. do. So I always raise my hand for that next challenge. Yeah. So you left to go to ADP. Yes. What was that like? Why did you do it? What was the catalyst? Were you looking for something different? So because I've always believed it's important in my career to personally reinvent myself, and I did that over the course of 21 years with IBM, the opportunity for ADP was also yet another chapter or opportunity to reinvent myself. Um, obviously, it was a very compelling opportunity from a career perspective to become the global CMO of a Fortune 250 company. And I often like, um, you know, ADP is a... A, a mini version of IBM, similar markets, similar challenges, a similar transformation that, that the company is going mm -hmm. through. Similar um, culture, would you say? To some degree. To some degree. I, I think IBM um, is a marketing machine, 
right? And to their credit, they've reinvented themselves for more than 100 years um, and and uh, several innovations that our world now enjoys mm -hmm. is as a result of IBM for the world. Um, ADV, A ADP on the flip side is more sales driven in terms of culture. Um, and I think that transformation is starting to happen. There is now an appreciation for marketing and a desire for it to become more of a growth enabler than it has in, mm -hmm. has in the past. So you've been there about two years as global CMO. Yes. And I'd like you to uh, describe the company if I invited you into a classroom of fifth graders, <laughs> how would you, and, and then their attention span is short, so, and, and you have to make it interesting. Yes. So how would you describe the company to them? Very simply put, uh, and I think this is not very well understood of ADP, uh, because of course I think most people would recognize it for its core business or um, historically where it's been around payroll, but it's more than that. And very simply, the way I think about it is that um, ADP provides the, the solutions all the way from hiring an individual to when they retire. So all HR solutions throughout their career and developing their talent and their potential. Mm -hmm. So how many of the Fortune 500 are ADP clients? You know that? I will tell you. Um, can you say that? We, we actually have 740,000 clients around the world. Um, and that is wow. a, a mix or an array of small, medium, like large, large yeah. right? Um, all industries, all sizes, um, and uh, very international. Um, and I think that is also the beauty of the business model is that we, um, we work with a, all the way from a small business owner all the way to a large enterprise, CHRO, CIO, CFO. Now let's get into your CMO role at yes. ADP, which you're about two years into it. And you have had, I can say this, a remarkable startup in two years. You've had two years of double-digit revenue growth. Now I know that's you and your team. Your stock price is up 60%. You launched a new purpose platform, hashtag working for, and, you help, and you're helping to advance this already strong culture of inclusion and diversity. Mm -hmm. And I've seen you online talk about that. I've seen things you've written. How on earth did you do that in two <laughs> years? How did you hit the ground running? I mean, what can you teach mm -hmm. others mm -hmm. about starting up? Because you've obviously had an amazing startup. Thank you. That's very kind. I would, you know, I would tell you, though, Jim, it may sound accelerated, but at first, I was very intentional about zooming out before I was able to zoom in. And I wanted to do that because ADP has a very strong history and culture, and I wanted to respect and honor the past and where the company had come from. Um, How did you learn about that in your startup? And so I spent the first 30 to 60 days um, probably going through about maybe over 100 one-on-ones. I spoke to our CEO, the executive committee, uh, peers of mine in the functions, my own staff, um, any associate that had a point of view about the company, the brand, where we were headed, clients, prospects, external influencers, consultancies, really to help shape or inform my point of view moving forward, but really taking that opportunity to listen first and then later on developing our path forward. Mm -hmm. So sort of a 30 to 60 day listening tour? Yes. So then what? I mean, did that help you form your agenda, your priorities? Yes, it did. So coming out of that, I then presented, um, which may be hard to, to believe, the first ever defined marketing strategy in the history of the company. 
right? And it was a vision for what world-class marketing looks like in the world and how world-class marketing would look like specifically for ADP. And so it's a a four-pronged strategy. Of course, the brand leadership is one of those elements. Uh, The other three are very much grounded in data-driven marketing, digital-first capability, and that's driven by the buyer's behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The third around uh, client centricity and truly, truly making the client our North Star in everything that we do. Everyone says it. Very difficult to do, of course, with the day-to-day pressures. And I believe all of that is possible. All of those those elements of the strategy are possible with one foundational and fourth element, um, which is around talent. And it's building the the balance of art and science, right? And so, uh, as you know, that's where our profession has been headed and continues to... uh, to, to, to head. Um, and so we've developed that and everything that we do points back to one of those four pillars. So did your CEO, do you report to the CEO at, a, at ADP? Uh, to the president of sales and marketing. President of sales and marketing. Okay. So when you were hired by the president of sales and marketing and, and the CEO, I'm sure had yes. input into it, were you hired for this or did you form that on your own? I mean, what were their expectations <laughs> coming in of you? I'm smiling because, um, they they wanted a transformation of marketing, right? Um, and the reason they wanted that was? Uh, because it had been a sales-driven culture, mm-hmm. but there was an acknowledgement that marketing needed to become a growth enabler for the business. Um, and marketing had not been an area that they had invested in, but there was an acknowledgement that times had changed. Uh, the market itself uh, was moving from underneath the company, right. and it was time to uh, to uh, employ a different uh, strategy. And so I think they 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 knew they needed a transformation, um, but I don't think it was well understood in terms of what that meant or what it looked like, mm-hmm. right? And so when I came in, I uh, as I said, right, I yeah. defined that for listen, the for the yeah. corporation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So how will you see success? I mean, obviously, mm. short term, you're seeing some good yes. numbers. But if you look out a couple of years from now, mm-hmm. what would success look like because of these strategies and your mm-hmm. execution of them? Mm-hmm. What would you? How would you like to see the company different? So my uh, aspiration um, at ADP and as part of the brand work that we introduced um, is really to make ADP a category of one, right? Because I do believe they have an unmatched story, but it's one that has never been told. Right. There is a level of conservatism. There's a level of our work will speak for itself. Sure. But in fact, um, if you don't control the narrative, as we know, someone else will for you. And so it's really about transcending the industry, becoming that category of one and ha- building an emotional connection with our buyers. So, you know, we'll look back on this and it's uh, one that I hope uh, it's a legacy that I will leave in terms of transforming the brand and the company to be known for much more than it is today Mm -hmm. and to become that category of one in our clients' eyes. Mm -hmm. When you say category of one, absolute market leader, is that what you mean by that? A market leader in the sense of that no one else can tell the story that we're oh, that telling, telling. It's right? a unique story. Yes, it's a unique story, and it's one of um, essential partnership, right? Our clients will look back and say, I can't do what I need to do, or I can't run my business without them, yeah. right? Becoming essential, essentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So wait, your your startup as CMO, which sounds great. Any stumbles? Any mistakes? Anything that you said? Oh, you know, I could have done that differently. Anything we could learn from that? So I'm learning every day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not infallible. I think the one part that I struggle with is my desire and my sense of urgency to move faster because I see the opportunity mm-hmm. for the company. I see the opportunity I want to take in the marketplace. What I'm learning or I recognize is that um, my sense of, of urgency needs to be tempered with the fact that I'm taking an entire organization on a journey with me. I'm essentially teaching them what marketing is and the value to the business, right? And so not only am I doing the education in real time, I'm actually, my team and I are actually delivering marketing proof points along the way. So we're doing education and we're doing the physical work. So it's really kind of a, you know, double effort there. And so um, it's that patience and taking everyone on the journey. Oh, so you you come into a very sales-driven culture, yes. right? And your your um, remit is to build a really strong marketing capability, which you are doing. Tell me about that. You know what the funny thing about our discipline, our function of marketing, is it seems to be different in almost every company. Yes. And I know we're working <laughs> in that as an industry yes. and on many industry bodies. But tell me, you know, what is your work? Where do you focus? And what are the areas of competency that you really want to build mm-hmm. at ADP, mm-hmm. make it a world-class marketing yes. company? So my work uh, probably varies day by day. It's very vast. I do have full responsibility for marketing and communications globally in over 100 countries. Uh, When I came to ADP, um, which is not dissimilar to most companies in that at that time or in that uh, state, um, the function itself was completely decentralized. Um, And so we had um, disciplines that were sitting in various parts of the business. Um, And so mission number one was not only to build a vision and the strategy forward, but also at the same time, functionalize marketing and communications, Um, not only for clarity, but also for career pathing for our professionals, right, to help them feel like they're part of a community and that the, um, you know, the organization was investing and serious in marketing as that key growth enabler or driver for the business. Um, And and so in doing that, uh, as you can imagine, we had to very quickly build out standards and relationships. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, uh, probably half my time is spent um, working with the business leaders, with the sales leaders, the functional leaders, helping them understand and build that rapport and evangelize the the uh, the the value of marketing and the partnership. Because I do believe, of course, our remit is very broad, and we have a responsibility to every function in the company. Um, At the same time, probably half my time is spent uh, particularly with my team to really build out the the capabilities, the skills. Um, And I do believe as a leader by responsibility, Jim, is to not only paint reality Mm -hmm. today, but to envision the future for them. So really that art of the possible. We're here today, but at the same time, I want to be setting the agenda for tomorrow um, and taking them and inspiring them as to where we can be. 
So it's a little bit of half time with uh, with the with my peers and functional leaders, and the other half of the time uh, with the team and our agencies mm-hmm. um, to uh, deliver like, on the work. You know, uh, many CMOs enter a role and find that the brand has been be managed very decentralized, yes, and it, which comes with lots of complexity and often yes. cost and multiple stakeholders and agencies. So, how did you start that transition to go from highly decentralized, where people in some ways like it because mm-hmm. they get to do what they want mm-hmm. to a more globally mm-hmm. managed synchronized brand that's still relevant in all markets. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about striking the right balance. In fact, I will tell you the marketers and the communicators in the in the organization were ready for centralization. They wanted to have mm-hmm. one yeah. strategy right? Mm -hmm. They wanted a vision. They wanted to know that there was a career path, that the company was investing uh, in the uh, function and we were having an equal seat at the table. So it was very much welcome from the practitioners. Um, And then at the same time, what we try to do um, is really drive standards and consistency around the world, but yet leave enough flexibility that there is uniqueness or discreteness at a country or a regional level. Some days we get it right. Maybe some other days we, uh, we, we you know, we, uh, we over-index, but I think it's finding the right balance, but also building that community um, and that pride mm-hmm. in our profession and the practice and honing our craft. Mm-hmm. So you're working on building this brand uh, making it more relevant, significant, drawing people to it, yes. customers and employees. Talent is one of your key pillars. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing? Your, your brand is not one of the most well-recognized brands mm-hmm. in the world, and you're mm-hmm. certainly working on that. What are you doing to retain your top people and bring in the kind of talent that you need to do what you want mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. to build this brand mm-hmm. further? So to make I, it more relevant. Yes. More so important. in fact, the team itself, um, we've had a number of changes and that's been intentional or by design. Um, I will tell you some of my uh, leaders have been brought up as top talent through the organization recently. And then others have been uh, brought in from from the outside. And I think it's important to have a mix of both because not only do you want the institutional knowledge, but also coupling or balancing that with some fresh and external perspective, right? And so I've spent quite a bit of time communicating within the function in terms of the path we're on, why we're doing what we're doing, why the strategy exists that way, where we're headed and, um, you know, the expectations. And I, uh, you know, I've been told from uh, by the team that they appreciate the clarity, um, the the directness, uh, because they hadn't had it in the past. And so they're energized by it. I think they continue to get more and more energized to see our success, the appreciation from the business, um, and really seeing that investment in the function. And really, I think from a career perspective, they see the opportunities to develop some of the most contemporary skills, as we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. One of my next horizons is around um, data-driven marketing mm-hmm. and truly leveraging data, analytics, real-time, and predictive capability to uh, to design or to curate that experience for our clients and is buyers. Is that probably the most important capability you're strengthening? Yes. That one, I think, is not... It doesn't come naturally, right? It's a new muscle for our function. Um, and it's one that's going to be a journey. It's going to take time. 
and it's a lot of iterative uh, experimentation, test, and learn. Um, but I think those with the right learning agility mm-hmm. uh, will be very successful. So while they may not have the hard skill today, if they're open to it, we can certainly teach them those new capabilities. So the relationship with your boss is so important, right? Yes. You, you, can't, you were at IBM for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. You knew that people, people knew you. You had great mm-hmm. credibility, great mm-hmm. reputation. So you came into this company sort of cold. So what can we learn about how you establish trust, rapport, mm. open communication with your boss? Because if we don't have that as heads of marketing, it all falls apart. Yes. Yes. And I think the way we personally approached it was that this was a partnership between sales, marketing, but also an extension to the entire corporation. And having had uh, spent half my career at IBM in sales and then the latter half in marketing and communications, I think there was an appreciation that I had carried a bag in my day, right? So I wasn't a theoretical marketer. I was one of practice in that I had... um, I understood how sellers uh, sold and how buyers bought. And so it was very practical, very applicable. And so there was a respect coming from IBM that it's one of the greatest brands in the world. And so how do we take all that goodness and now apply it to ADP? So I think there was, you know, there was a balance of listening and respect and trust, right, on both sides to to bring the very best for ADP because we really did want to transform the function. So what's your biggest challenge now? You're two years into this new narrative and the transformation. What's your biggest challenge? <laughs> the, the challenge is um, the continued change of perception of the function, right? Because there had not of been. Of the function of marketing. Of the function mm-hmm. of marketing Within internally. Your company. Yeah, okay. Internally, absolutely. Um, and so... Because they, because ADP had historically been a sales-driven culture, um, I think there was um, an understanding or an assumption that marketing is there as sales support. And in fact, as we all know, we do much more than that, right? Um, and I really do believe our responsibility is to protect and enhance the brand uh, overall. And so there's been, you know, and it's a journey, right? Um, but I think it's the challenge of constantly proving and demonstrating um, and educating the organization on what marketing is and how marketing truly impacts the business beyond sales support, right? And really having my leaders around their individual tables within their business units or with their business leaders and having an equal seat at the table. But that requires also being strategic in our thinking and coming with it with an informed point of view and recommendation, um, and that is a muscle that we are building, right? And and we're supplementing from the so outside you're doing it through storytelling and through credibility and actions. Yes, yeah. all, of that, all of that, right? Yeah. Right. And I think also we have been fortunate with our partnership with Havas. We've also injected that external perspective. So it's mm-hmm. not about what we're just saying, but they, because they work with many brands around the world, bringing that external perspective on what other brands, what other functions or marketing functions are doing. So were you work, Havas is your, your agency. Yes. 
to help you with many things, I know. Were you working with them before? Were they a new agency to ADP? They, yes, they are. In fact, we have developed this relationship probably over the past 14 or 15 months. So, um, you know, as I mentioned- So you awarded the, the business to them- Yes. Shortly after you came in. Yes. Yeah. So after I had shared my vision for uh, world-class marketing um, and our path forward, mm-hmm. uh, mission number one was to get the brand and then very distinctive and differentiated the brand leadership that we wanted. And so we very um, quickly um, completed an agency review. Mm-hmm. I think we were, you know, start to finish two months, believe it or not. Um, a number of agencies participated and we unanimously selected uh, Havas for a number of reasons. And for us, they've been an incredible um, not only marketing and brand partner, but they've been an incredible business partner. Um, and so we would uh, we would say it's probably the most valuable relationship uh, or one of the most valuable relationships that we've really enjoyed or benefited from. Well, the brand, at least to me, seems much more energetic. So, <laughs> you know, it really does. Yes. What uh, And we're here in Cannes where yes. we're looking at all the best of the best. What are you most proud of that you've done with Havas? since you started to work with them? So I'm proud of many things, but what I will say is that when we embarked on the journey to reinvent the brand, what we could have simply done was update our mission and our vision. We chose not to. Um, and with the full support and buy-in from our CEO and our executive committee, we decided to be purpose-driven as a company, right? And because we believe that work is about more than just getting paid, we all work for a higher purpose or for another reason. And that's very personal. It could be putting a child through college. It could be for an early retirement. It could be a contribution to society, right? So we wanted to tell a very different story. But in order to, to do that, we needed to understand who we were, Right. We invented the industry nearly 70 years ago. So we said, look, we're not inventing anything new here. We're extracting a truth that's been enduring for 70 years. And so through a process of taking 58,000 associates on the co-creation journey with us, we we define that purpose. Um, and with so what that- compelled you to do that? Was that something that you were thinking about before you came in? Is it something when you started working with Havas that mm. you sort of unpacked? So what was the catalyst? Yes. For that? So I, I think, you know, we were, we unpacked it together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the year leading up to our anniversary, this is our 70th, 70th. Anni- mm-hmm. 70th anniversary this year. So the year leading up to now, we really took the opportunity to self-reflect and ask ourselves, what are we working for? Why do we exist? What is our aspiration? Mm-hmm. Right. And so through that process with 58,000 associates, we realized that we are always designing for people. Mm-hmm. Right. And that became the basis of our new brand platform, as well as the campaign. And we we spark a conversation around the world by asking the question, what are you working for, right? Um, and so developing the purpose, being purpose-driven, and seeing it all the way through in terms of our, ultimately, the campaign and market is incredibly gratifying. However, I will say one of the most, um, the one of the elements that I'm proudest about is that the campaign itself features our clients, it's not about us. We're making our clients the hero in the story. And it's an emotional storytelling method, right? If you've seen our campaign or our, our first ever TV commercials, um, they are 
11 employees of our clients, so 11 clients, 11 of their employees who are talking about what they're working for. Right. And, uh, and it's, uh, you know, so we feature companies like Tabasco or Magnolia Bakery or L'Occitane, you know, small, medium, large across industries. And it's incredibly powerful to hear them talk about what they're working for. And we believe that we help their businesses thrive so that they can achieve just that. Um, But it's an advocate advocacy campaign. um, And so I'm incredibly proud that it's about our clients, not necessarily about ourselves. Yeah, it's beautifully done. So if Thank if, you. if you haven't seen it yet as a listener, you should <laughs> you should go on YouTube and take a look. What's the impact been internally and externally? Because I thought it, it is very emotional. Thank you. Um, so I think it was unexpected, right, for a B two B historically a B two B brand. Although we are now transitioning into a B two B to C company, we're, we are really speaking to the employee. So anyone who works around the world can answer that question: What are you working for? Right. And so it's very applicable to the individual worker. Yes, our enterprise clients continue to be um, incredibly important and decision makers, but the employees can be influencers as well. And so I think internally, our associates, I believe, are our greatest brand ambassadors. They bring the brand to life. There has been an incredible surge of pride and engagement right? Because when I came to ADP, they were so hungry to tell that story that had never been told, but no one had done it before and they didn't know really what was that story. So now that they see it come to life and they see the clients um, tell their story, it's incredible, you know, a great source of pride and engagement um, around our mission or our purpose and what what we are personally working for. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So where do you go from here on that? I mean, how do you keep it evolving and fresh, activating (laughs) it? Yes. So I think we've just scratched the surface. Yeah, just we've started, we've yeah. just started, right? It's been in market for three months. It's been incredibly well received by our clients. Um, it's also been w- very well received, as we know, by th- by the media and an incredible social engagement. Now it's about bringing it at, or pulling it all the way through and truly living the purpose, right? And so this is an ongoing process with our own associates and every action we take. So I often say, your purpose becomes the lens by which you make every decision in your company. Who you buy, yeah. who you partner, and what you make. Is that right? tough? Will that be tough, that transition? I, it will be a challenge because it's just a very different approach. And it's one where you have to be authentic to it, right? So if you say you stand for A... You can't do B. You've always got to do A. And so it's a very different orientation for us, but it's one that has already been embraced. um, And our associates have already 
um, shared stories internally about how they're bringing it to life. And so it's this constant um, inspiration, education, and uh, reinforcement that we're doing internally. And then yet we will bring it to life externally in every interaction with our clients and our prospects. Um, and that's going to be, you know, that's a journey. Yeah. That's definitely going to be a journey Anything for us. Anything you've learned about how you'll measure that, your KPIs, or you're kind of developing that? So we're certainly developing uh, that. We do, at the onset um, of the work, we had defined certain KPIs we were most interested in that we want to move the needle on. And then, of course, um, you know, we're already tracking early indicators uh, so that we can adjust as we go. So far, as I mentioned, it's been very well received, probably better than we expected, uh, although we did do some uh, an initial uh, testing prior to going out to market. Um, ultimately, of course, we want to change the narrative. We want to be known for more than where you know, where we've come from, right? We want to become that undisputed leader for full HCM. We have a broad portfolio that many don't even know about, right? And, and probably even some of our own clients don't understand right. the full breadth of our capability. So it's really about changing the perception, uh, changing the awareness, the perception, the consideration, and then ultimately it has to drive growth for the business. Sure, sure. So I, I saw at the She Summit, I, I saw something you said, which I thought was amazing. Character is behavior and behavior is culture. So tell me more about the culture at ADP that you're trying to build upon. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it was strong when you came in. It's mm -hmm. a successful enterprise. Yes. What are you really trying to double down on that that quote kind of captures? Yes. So I'll thread that comment or that, Back to the that purpose. quote yeah. all the way through. Yeah. So um, the way I often think about it, as you rightfully started, right? <clears throat> Character is behavior. Behavior is culture and culture is brand. Mm. It's what you do and no one else is watching. Right. And so it's going to take time in any organization to change culture. Um, and I think it was my time at ID IBM where I really learned the importance of culture, right? It guides, yeah. it guides everything that you do and your entire brand. Um, what we are working, what I'm personally working to pivot towards is to become um, obviously more marketing and data-driven, yes, in the function, but also becoming much more customer-obsessed, right? Everyone says they are. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> at the end of the yeah. day, Can very few. Can get complacent few, on that. Right? And so um, it's really, really becoming the North Star in everything we do and really gut checking mm -hmm. what we're investing in, how yeah. we think and how we design every interaction yeah. from marketing. So you, were talk you worked at IBM. We, we talked about that many times. Um, you've now worked for two legacy tech companies. Mm -hmm. IBM is, what, 120 years yes. old or something? And ADP 70 years old. So what have you learned maybe mm. good and bad, about mm -hmm. how do you keep a legacy tech company mm -hmm. relevant and modern? It's hard. <laughs> it's very it, there hard. There are very few that have made that journey. Yes, especially if you operate in industries like IBM or ADP that are incredibly yeah. attractive, uh, that are very fast-paced and very dynamic. Everyone wants they in, want in. Yeah. right? Um, so it's incredibly hard. One thing I learned is that you know when you're in a legacy 
company or legacy brand, everyone wants to be the new startup. But in fact, I will tell you, having spent time with clients both at IBM and now at ADP, you have to embrace who you are and who you've always been. You can't change that, right? It's about how to take it to the next level. So appreciate, celebrate, honor your history and your culture and how you were successful to that point, right? Because what I have found in the in the brand work at, uh, at ADP most recently is when we did some of our initial research, our clients told us we had permission, right? They trusted us. They trusted their most valuable asset to us, their people, their talent. And so, and they want us to succeed. Just like when we were, when I was at IBM, IBM's clients wanted IBM to succeed, right? Um, It's really about celebrating and believing in who you've always been and now how to take that and extend that with the permission that you really have to become very future forward and, uh, and really transform the brand um, and to really own the conversation. Yeah. So, you know, you're in a big role in a fast-moving industry. So I want to talk a bit about how you keep fresh, <laughs> you know, in, a, yes. in every way, kind yeah. of how you stay on top of culture, how mm-hmm. you stay on, how you keep yourself mm-hmm. energized mm-hmm. and uh, alert, yes. and you travel a lot, yes. right? So you're crossing time zones. So what are your rituals? You know, how do you keep yourself sharp and healthy and on, on top of your game? <laughs> so um, I think... In this case, I have to be very disciplined, right? Um, the the what I have the least of that I need the most of is time, mm-hmm. um, as we as many yeah. of us do, right? And so I want to be very disciplined. Every weekend, I focus on exactly what I set out to accomplish that upcoming week. I know exactly what I'm going to do and the meetings that I need to have, right? And I'm very maniacal about that, accomplishing that day in and day out. Now, of course, things happen and your your, sure. your schedule changes, but I'm very focused on the outcomes I want to drive, um, not only for my function, but for the business overall. Um, and so I'm very disciplined about my time. I'm up early. Early. Um, I have my action plans, um, and and uh, and really stick to that, and very much march toward towards it. Mm-hmm. So you're very organized, right? Yes. <laughs> and what about um, to stay on top of the industry? I mean, do you go obviously you go to South by Southwest, yes. can you're on industry associations. Yes. What, what do you read to stay on top of things, listen to? I'm actually, right now, um, I'm doing probably less reading and mm-hmm. more listening, more podcasts, mm-hmm. right, on the commute, um, on planes, wherever I may be. And I'll, I will listen to a variety of uh, podcasts. And, of course, I'm listening mm-hmm. to the CMO podcast, not because I'm on it Thank today. but but in But, in fact, I have been listening to a number of them over the past several weeks. Um I'm also listening to um, a number of podcasts from HBR, uh, The Daily, um, Motley Fool. I mean, it's a sure. variety, right? I'm, I'm taking in as much as I can, both about culture or other topics, but also keeping fresh on our profession because it's incredibly fast moving. For example, this week here in Cannes has been so enriching to me uh, because while there are so many B2C brands here, and less B2B, I still believe there is a convergence between the two, and there are very few differences anymore. And so I take inspiration from adjacent or very different industries uh, because they make us better 
by thinking differently and helping us challenge our thinking. Um, and that's probably, you know, yeah. kind of uh, some of the inspiration we were able to, to take from the agency world um, for the rebrand, right? Yeah. That was, uh, you know, we, we were hearing a lot of great things this week at Cannes, and yeah. I, I was with Mathilde Delhomme, who's the chief brand officer of LVMH, and Julia Golden at mm -hmm. Lego, and they just said, you know, it's not B to C, it's not B to B, no. it's B to H. Yes. It's business to humans. Yes. And as long as we remember that, people are, you know, they don't have, they don't throw a switch and say, I'm at, at work and, uh, and I'm at home. No. You know, it's, they're attracted to the same things when they're attracted to people or yes. brands or companies or movements or whatever it might yeah. be. And they bring their same expectations from their personal lives into their business lives. So I want to, um, unfortunately, wrap this up soon, but I want you to talk a little bit more about brand purpose, right? You're on this journey. Uh, you're out with a lot of uh, enthusiasm and energy and engagement with your people. Brand purpose is all over us here yes. at Can. You know, every brand has kind of gotten it. Mm -hmm. We're not selling it anymore. They mm -hmm. realize it's important. It's the way to do business. Where are we going with that? What's purpose 2.0 or 3.0? Mm. You know, where's it going next? How do you different? How do you differentiate on it? It's a great question because, uh, and you heard me say this earlier today. I truly believe. People do business with you based on what you stand for and what you believe, not what you sell, mm -hmm. right? Because any product, any service can become commoditized over time, but it's truly those who share in the same beliefs that you do. Um, I really do actually um, think we're going to experience a time where some of the nostalgic brands are mm. going to have, uh, mm. you know, a rise again. Um, and I also think where we're headed, yes, you've got to live your your purpose. You've got to be authentic to it in every single way. I think from our function, however, there's going to be um, a significant shift. We're already seeing it, of course, with AI. I'm fascinated uh, by it probably during my time with IBM and at the time we uh, announced or launched Watson, right? But how do you leverage AI to creativity, right? It's not an either or. It's like, how does AI help us extract the the nuggets and mm -hmm. the creativity and help direct that? I also think, um, you know, there's going to be more work around sonic marketing. Right. And interestingly, I was thinking about it the other night. You know, when you think about nostalgic brands, I think about companies like in Intel. We all know what Intel sounds like, right? We all know what yeah, Coca-Cola sounds yeah. like. Yep. Right. And I still think there is a connection there, an emotional connection. Um, and I think more and more brands will differentiate around that. Mm -hmm. Of course, purpose will always be important, but it's how we're going to show up in every way, right. every touch point yep. and be memorable. Guided by the purpose. Yes. Right. Yep. So I want to end with a bit of a speed round. Okay. okay. So and here we go. So what was your favorite course at your alma mater, Lehigh University? <laughs> French. Tough. French. French? Oh, okay. Yes. So what's a brand you cannot live without? LinkedIn. Because? Because it's an incredible way to not only um, stay connected to your network, but to reach out and find expertise that I otherwise would never have had access to. Mm -hmm. Are you a book reader? Uh, no, I'm more of a listener. And we talked about that. <laughs> How about a TV? Are you watching any series that you love? One that I've started to uh, most recently watch is, believe it or not, Street Food on Netflix. Um, I, a world that had 
uh, been unknown to me um, has kind of opened up as I've seen the importance of street food in South East Asia and how important it is to culture and the legacy and keeping that culture alive. Um, I'm probably fascinated by the show uh, lately because of my love of cultures and food um, and really understanding kind of legacy long term and how things thrive over centuries, generations. Mm -hmm. So you love Crayola as a kid. <laughs> you love art. How are you yeah. keeping that uh, interest, that passion alive in your life? So I think when I travel, I make it a point to visit as many museums as I can, right? I think it's something that is very lost in our culture, um, but I still find it incredibly important to, to see the, uh, the artifacts, the pieces of work from you know, obviously centuries ago, but also to marry that with some of the latest art um, and innovation that's happening. And so that's a place that I find incredible peace and comfort um, really to see um, art kind of across across the world. Um, Good so, for you. Yeah. Too and often so, we run into yeah. a city and out on business trips without making the time to do something. Yes. To expand our mind, relax. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we'll end on Cannes. We began in Cannes. What yes. was the most incredible thing that happened to you this week in Cannes? <laughs> I think it goes back to what I said earlier today, uh, earlier in our discussion. I had the privilege to be behind uh, behind the curtain, yeah. seeing some of the world's greatest work, um, and really having that opportunity to kind of get behind the scenes and understand what went into the work, the challenges, the obstacles that these brands had to face, and how they actually had to defend the work because some of the work is so beyond mm -hmm. you know our thinking. And so just re really incredible about uh, risk-taking, the braveness, the boldness of some of these brands. But again, they're award-winning, so, uh, yeah. so it totally makes so sense. So when you go back to work on Monday and you've yes. been inspired this week and I've seen yes. all this crazy good stuff that has moved the brand, moved the businesses, what are you going to do when you go back to work? Are you going to chat with your people? Are you going to make a new commitment? Absolutely. So I'm, I will definitely chat with my team because they're already reaching out saying, we can't wait to hear about your experiences. Can't wait to hear what you've seen and learned and who you've met there. So of course, I'll, I'll share all of that uh, wisdom, so to speak, back with them. I think it's also an opportunity to challenge our thinking. I think we've done, you know, I've, I'm proud of the work we've done over the past year and a half, two years. But I, I also believe we've only just started. Right. So there's still opportunity, even from the time we spent earlier today in the CMO Accelerator program, to kind of flip some thinking on itself and say, wait a minute, how could we approach this differently? Are there partnerships? Are, is there an ecosystem we should be building here? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have to go it alone. And maybe right. that's the way we live yeah, out our purpose, powerful. right? And build out, you know, with like-minded other brands, build out the power it's a big thought. together. Okay, I'll end in this one. Who else do you want to listen to in the CMO podcast? Who else should we get on the podcast? So I'll leave up. I'll leave the individual up to you. Okay. But I've been thinking about an industry I believe that is so underserved and needs so much attention in our society today, because it's really at such an inflection point um, and really impacts all of our lives is healthcare. And I'm not sure we hear enough about what CMOs are doing in the healthcare world. We have our brief. Okay. We'll do it. <laughs> Excellent. Thank Keep you listening. so much. We'll bring you some healthcare CMOs. Great. I promise. That was my conversation with Lorraine Barbara Miller. 
I loved how she engaged with her employees, her customers, other functions. In her first two months in, the, in her job as CMO, she went out on a listening tour. And from there, she crafted her strategy and the journey this amazing company is taking on purpose. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.